Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Jeff LaFlemme, an engineer by day, game designer by night. His first published game, Dungeon Decorators, is currently on Kickstarter and published by Slugfest Games. Jeff, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Good. Good. I'm doing great. Thanks. So I think I'd be remiss to not say how close you are to your target. I know you've got three days ago, um, but I'm going to just read these numbers out to people. So I checked literally before we went live. So there could have been a pledge that went in since we, uh, since I checked, but you are, I'm going to say it's in Canadian dollars because it always sounds larger. $51,985 on a target of 52,624. So you're at 99% of your goal. You're literally like six pledges away from hitting your target. I'll do a preemptive congratulations statistically with three days to go, just the way the bell curve, the reverse bell curve works on uh, Kickstarter. There is a zero doubt in my mind that you're going to fund. It's just a question of how far you go over your funding targets. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, It's been a lot of gray hairs kind of watching it go uh, so <laughs> far. <laughs> so I'm going to definitely have a nice beer after this is done. <laughs> yeah, they always talk about the stress. You know, they... Uh, yeah, anybody I ever talked to you that says, oh, you know, it's, uh, how is it? I said, clear your schedule for the first day. Uh, even during the entire campaign, it is tough not to want to, you know, check, check your feed, check your feed, see, see how it's doing. But uh, certainly the beginning is stressful. The ending is stressful. I think you've passed kind of the key stress markers, which are the ones of, am I going to, am I going to fund or not? So, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you're going to fund it has got to be a huge relief for you guys. Um, so I thought we start just have you talk a little bit about this game, Dungeons, Dungeon Decorators. So what is it? Explain it to people who are listening. Try to use some visual language if possible, because not everybody can see what we're actually looking at. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll do my best. Um, so Dungeon Decorators is a tile laying game at heart. Um, the unique kind of aspect of it is that um, the tiles are two-sided. So... Uh, you either use one side to actually make hallways in your dungeon, or you, you use the opposite side to actually decorate your dungeon. Um, and so the basic mechanic is you can put a uh, decoration on a wall. You can't put it in an entrance of a hallway, but you can put it on a wall. And so you're trying to kind of optimize where you're putting these decorations uh, to kind of meet goals. So you have goal cards in your hand that'll say like, okay, and you need a room with a torch and a uh, cobweb in it, for example. And uh, so you'll have to get a, a room tile. And then on the walls of the room tile, you'll have to attach these uh, decorations uh, that meet that goal card. Um, you always have like four goal cards in your hand. So you're always kind of working toward new goal cards throughout the game. Uh, there's a couple different types. Um, there, there's decoration goals, which is one I was just talking about. And then there's one that's a shape goal. So it's based on purely the shape of the dungeon and kind of what tiles you have uh, that make up that shape. Sometimes it may be like, okay, you need a zigzag hallway. And, um, but in the middle piece, you need to have a colored tile, any color you want, or maybe you need to have a purple colored tile, um, but it has to have this pattern and you can invert it and um, rotate it. So it's very, uh, very forgiving from that perspective. Uh, 
so yeah, so basically it's it's a real thinky puzzle because uh, you're trying to optimize as much as you can. So if I want to try to get that torch in the room, I may also want to try to get these um, spikes that are also on the decoration uh, side uh, into my hallway at the same time. So you kind of got to have to figure out how you're going to position everything. And, and then um, outside of that, there are some um, uh, like uh, drafting powers, basically. So uh, they're called assistants in the game. And basically, when you uh, draft a tile, you may get one of the assistants. And they're actually a pretty cool little boost to the game. Uh, so one of them, for example, uh, gives you a token. Uh, they're called the Arcane Architects. And basically, later in the game, uh, you could take one of your tiles and reposition it. So normally, all your tiles, once they oh. kind of go down, they're stuck where they are, kind of pretty much. Um, but this lets you pick up a tile that you used for a previous decoration or a previous goal and move it around to another goal. So. And then there's boss cards and things like that. And what, what do the boss cards do? So I was trying to understand while I was reading through your page how the boss cards come into play. Sure. So the boss cards are like, these, these are the ultimate guys you're trying to appease, right? Uh, you know, these are the potential, uh, this is the overlord that you're trying to uh, impress. So he has some kind of, uh, you know, things that he really digs, like uh, the spider queen. She loves cobwebs. So, mm -hmm. for example... Every cobweb that you have as a decoration in your dungeon, you're going to get three points for. That's on top of your regular goal cards that you're going toward. You're going to have this kind of global um, goal that everybody is tied into. So people might fight over those kind of decorations. Um, and then there might be another one that says, oh, I really like colors. So I want a lot of hallways with uh, different colors and, and you'll get like so many victory points for those too. And so during a game, you usually always have two different goal cards, boss goal cards that you're always working to out of a pile of, I think nine each. So oh, wow. every okay. game kind of gets randomized and you'll fight over different players. Um, so one of them is uh, kind of global, like, okay, you get three, three points for every one of the spider webs. The other one is more of a, competition thing so it'd be like whoever has the most colored tiles in the hallway is going to get 10 points second most is going to get four third and fourth won't get anything kind of thing when i first saw this it kind of reminded me a little bit of like some elements of king domino so the way the the drafting works right with uh you know based on which tile you pick that then chooses your turn order for the next round a little bit of uh, lanterns, I guess, when you're trying to match certain things up, and uh, and then a little bit of sorrow with the with the um, you know trying to create your little path there. I think it's cool. I like the way um, it's unique. Uh, it obviously brings in different elements from different types of games and different mechanics, but you guys have really approached this in a in a very different way. Um, so how did you come up with this idea? Like, when did you first started making games? Is this something you've been doing your whole life or is this uh, something recent or? So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a long backstory. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Basically under 30. Um, yeah. Under, yeah. <laughs> we got to make that for sure. Um, so no, was when my dad brought home my the Atari 800 one day and, um, my eyes kind of lit up as a kid, um, because, you know, we started playing Pac-Man and at that moment, I kind of knew I always wanted to do something in games. And so as I kind of, uh, you know, as I was growing up, I started going toward uh, computer games specifically. And um, so I got a degree in computer science. And then I started uh, 
making my own little uh, games. I made my own little game engine, made a couple of little video games. And um, that was fun, but it, it became very hard because you have to, uh, you know, you have to get an artist and there's a lot of things you have to kind of put together to put it, uh, make yeah. a video game happen. Uh, so then I uh, started exploring board games. I started playing some and then I realized, wow, there's this whole like world of board games that's crazy. These designs are just uh, fantastic and it really, you know, it's, it's huge now, right? So uh, when I did that, I uh, started uh, going to a little meetup where they have designers locally and uh, we started talking and they said, well, you know, the nice thing about designing games and board game in the board game world is that, uh, you know, you make the design and then the publisher takes care of the rest of it. So the art and all the other things. And that's when I kind of went, okay, this is cool. This is something that I feel like I can focus on designing and not have to worry about all the other pieces. And so I kind of got into that about, I don't know, like five, six years ago, probably. And, um, yeah, so I started designing little prototypes here and there, and uh, yeah, I've just been doing that ever since. So, now is it always prototype versions of this game, or is it just prototypes of different games? And then, then you kind of finally landed on somewhat of like the uh, an iteration of this particular uh, game after a while, and you thought, "Gosh, this is the one I think I can take the market." Or how did that kind of work? Yeah, I mean, I kind of made um, different games, and um, it it kind of just got to the point where. Uh, I felt like this was a good enough uh, design to actually pitch out. And I, I and honestly, I didn't really know too much because I'm still learning and kind of figuring out how this whole publishing thing works, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I would go to these uh, publisher designer speed dating events. Uh, that's how I started kind of getting into, okay, what do I need to do next? How does this all work kind of thing? And uh, that's where I met Slugfest and um, they saw the design and they liked it. So it kind of, started from there. I, I worked on this design for probably about six months uh, before I went to that event. And then it got, it got picked up from there. And what kind of artwork did you use for that prototype? Was the prototype very rough, rudimentary? Was it something you used maybe at your local print shop? Um, what, what kind of state was this in when you, when you were shopping it around at these different uh, event nights? Okay. Yeah. So um, one thing that I did is I actually got like a, um, uh, like a like a front cover kind of artwork image made by uh, like a designer friend of mine. I um, I was like to uh, hire her for different pieces of art. So she makes all these really funny, uh, cartoony kind of designs that I just love. And so it's kind of a inspiring theme kind of thing that I kind of uh, shot for. So I had her made one of those, and that's kind of like my my main uh, image that I would have as like a selling point outside of that from the prototype material i basically just had um some images of different creatures and things like that that i had on like the cards um so i did everything like myself i had card stock and then i would i would glue both sides together um to make the front and the back side so a lot of it was just you know uh either internet kind of art or stuff that i kind of just threw together to make it look uh uh, understandable so people could play it kind of thing. So it was, yeah, it was kind of pretty uh, crude. And then there's those free icons that you can kind of get on the web too. Sure, like so. clip art or stock uh, stock photography or stock images and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And so then when you, was it always this kind of um, decorating a dungeon theme? Like, was that always the theme or did that kind of come later on? And how did that, how did that evolve? 
Yeah, so it's always been that way. So the orig the origin story of this game is that my son was playing Minecraft, and okay. um, yeah, he just he he'd play a lot of it uh, when he was little, and every time I would I would uh, see him playing it, he'd say, "Dad, come here, come here." And so I'd be sitting there, and he goes, "Okay, Dad, I want to show you this what I have designed here." So him and his buddies would be working on it too, and he, he'd walk me through this uh, area of his uh, level, and it'd be like, "Okay, I'm in this room. I put the door over here." And then I've got the torch over here on this wall. And then you could look, Dad, I put a, a treasure chest down here on the floor. And so, but he went through a lot of detail. They put a lot of detail into everything sure. built. And so that's kind of what made me think of this idea is like, well, okay, uh, what if you have a game where you're actually building something and you're decorating it at the same time? Because that's what he did. And he was so proud of it. He's like, all the little details was, uh, you know, that it was so important to them to have that. Yeah. So yeah, that's what kind of spurred the game. And then I just quickly put something together real quick uh, right after that. And um, it broke like <laughs> instantaneously in the first test. But uh, it, it, didn't get, it didn't take too long to actually get it in pretty good shape after that. So what was your playtesting process that you went through? So being a first time game developer, I'm sure you just tried to figure it out as you went. Um, did you have a process you went through for that? Was it just close family? Did you take it to different friends? Was it mainly these meetups or? Yeah, so it's kind of a combination. So it's kind of like, I think it's kind of like in stages or layers, right? So it's first, you know, I make it myself and I try to test it as best as possible myself, you know, um, but that's kind of limiting in a way. And then after that, uh, it's family members and, and some friends. And then uh, if it's going, you know, pretty decent after that, then it makes it into the, um, uh, designer meetup that we have locally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I get a lot of feedback from them. And then I may iterate on that for a long time. And then once I, and then another big event that I try to go to is they have these proto spiels. Yeah. Have you, have you heard of those? Oh yeah. 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 So the San Jose proto spiel is one that we go to like every year. And um, that's where you can get a lot of feedback from other, a lot of other designers uh, and also um, just, you know, playtesters, people that love board games come in. And so that's where I got a lot of, uh, a lot more feedback. And then it's kind of my litmus test at that point. Is this something that is ready to pitch or not? And after that, I went to uh, the Gamma Trade Show and went to the designer um, publisher speed dating there to meet Slugfest. So how many publishers did you meet with before you finally landed on uh, Slugfest? Um, yeah, that's interesting. So basically the whole event, the way it works is, you show up in a room, you, you put your stuff on a table and then they kind of walk around. Okay. Um, so <laughs> it's like they, if they stop and they talk to you, uh, they might be interested, um, you know, so, cause they kind of look at your table and they kind of see, oh, is this something I want or not kind of thing. And um, so I just had a few people like as they were going, some people would just walk by and be like, I'm not interested in this kind of thing. And then some people would stop and then ask me a lot of questions and then, um, you know, maybe leave me a business card, uh, which is what Slugfest did. Uh, and then I had to then uh, put it into digital form on Tabletop Simulator so that their whole team could kind of uh, test it out. And then what was the criteria that, that you went through to decide, you know, A, whether to go with a publisher and then B, whether to go with this specific publisher? Um. So the reason why I don't I don't really want to self-publish is uh, basically based on um, I think it was uh, Eric Lang. He had some kind of uh, 
saying it kind of went like this. It's like, well, you can either spend your time designing games or you can spend your time making games. It's very hard to, um, if you try to publish your own, you're not going to get a lot of time designing. And that's kind of what I like to do is spend more time designing. So I really wanted to find a publisher that could take care of the rest and, and then has the knowledge to actually make it successful, you know, do the artwork and, uh, you know, deal with distribution, all of that stuff. So that wasn't really sure. an area I wanted to dive into. Um, uh, when I met with them, they're a really uh, group of people. They're really funny. Um, so we were kind of on the same wavelength as the game and what it was about, and they really liked it to me. Um, you know, I, I was just, I, I went with them, right? Um, I didn't have a lot of offers, to be honest. Uh, I go with them because they have product in store and um, they were, I mean, they've been awesome to work with. They, they've let me kind of go along throughout the whole process. I love working with them. So as part of this, um, like obviously with COVID, um, you know, tabletop simulators become a more integral part of prototyping for a lot of people, uh, or quite frankly, even just testing uh, prototypes. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you had to get on tabletop simulator for their team to, to try this game. Um, have you used tabletop simulator a lot to uh, play tests with people and start building up some of the pre uh, awareness of the game? Not really. I mean, they did. So uh, Slugfest did publish a tabletop simulator version. It's still out there. You can play it for free. Version that you can play also um, uh, during the Kickstarter event, but we didn't really have it before that. Um, so uh, yeah, I, but it's been great since because I've been in how to play it. Um, online, which has been really fun. And can you talk to some of the, um, uh, some of the advertising that's been done, uh, to promote this Kickstarter? So we've got a few people in the, in the chat room here. We've got Tanner, we got Mike. Um, and one of the questions was, you know, how do you, what kind of ad spend was involved to get up to a $50,000, pledge level was there was there funds invested on the ad side into doing like uh like facebook ads or things like that or do you have any insight to that side of uh the campaign i mean um i can only talk a little bit about that side because this is the one that's kind of driving the whole thing um i i know that they did spend some but i'm not sure how it's split or uh, you know how much and and where they decided to put it um so, I mean, they definitely, I can just tell you kind of where we had some presence. So mm-hmm. um, there was a couple of, um, like a, um, oh God, top of my head, I probably could look if I looked at Twitter right now, but um, it, they had um, John Gitz Games uh, a tutorial of it. And then they had, um, they had some presence at Aw Shucks this year, you know, the shut up and sit down guys. Mm-hmm. Um, for Spiel, they kind of had um, a video for uh, the Tabletopia guys. Mark uh, is kind of like a community video with him too. Um, 
but I, yeah, I'm not totally aware of everything that they did. It's kind of, again, I'm on the other side of the wall of their company. Sure. Right? <laughs> have they have they used you at all in any of the promotion or have you been able to tag in at any point to uh, help with the promotion of the game or is it more of a just kind of you hand over the keys and you kind of let them run with it oh yeah it's i mean it's their their thing i'm just there to kind of help so anything that they needed help with um so running uh, like teaching lessons at shucks and things like that and and being on some of the streams uh, is a lot of the areas that I could probably just help out with. So, um, but outside of that, it was really kind of more in their control. Got it. And was there anything about this game that they changed? I know that in talking with other um, game developers, I mean, one of the th- I mean, one of the benefits, and Mike even kind of mentions in the lobby here that you certainly saved yourself a lot of time and uh and headache having somebody else kind of take over the reins from uh on the publishing side but part of that is you are signing over control right so um you know that might go really well in some cases with some publishers and some developers the publisher may want to go right and you want to go left and guess what you're going right so was there anything about this game that changed once they took over with like obviously the artwork they brought in uh professional artists um was there anything else that changed like in the mechanics or the the way the game played or anything like that there was a few uh small things um you know uh i think the game that i had was uh, it had a few more things to it that made it a little bit more complex so um they dialed down a couple of the things to kind of um you know kind of reach a certain their target audience right they kind of they have that information and they kind of know where they're trying to hit um, from like the, I guess the cognitive load kind of level, if you will. And sure. um, so they dialed it back a little bit. Um, and then they also uh, split out the goals. So I used to kind of have like um, the shape goals used to be kind of like a global thing, uh, kind of like the boss goal. And it was kind of like first come first serve. So everybody was kind of competing for the same, same shape goals. And uh, they took that and they, they put that into its own like uh, deck and uh, that players can get. And it's cool because now players can decide, you know what, I really want to focus more on just uh, doing uh, like kind of uh, decorations or, or I want to mess with more with uh, my layout, right? So um, players have a choice. And I think that was a really good thing that they did. Um, and I think, uh, you know, cutting back a little bit helped streamline it. Because they used to have like, actually, I used to have two floors. Uh, in the game. And okay. so if you had a second floor, you were working on two puzzles at the same time. Mm. And the second floor was worth more points because you kind of had to build it later. So it was a little bit more risky to build there, but it was worth more points. So, um, so yeah, that was a few of the changes that they did. Kind of like almost like a Carcassonne uh, play there where you've got these different areas you're trying to build out. And it's like, okay, I could, I'm going to leave that because I hope I get the right piece but you might not get the right piece. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so, and I can see your game has elements of that as well as you're kind of building it out. One thing that was really cool that we didn't mention um, uh, earlier on, uh, but I think it's important to mention is there's this, for lack of a better word, a mat area or card where you can, it's like a storage area, right? So it's not like you draw and you immediately have to place. There's a little bit of strategy in there where you can draw a card and it's like, oh, I know I'm going to need this later, but I don't want to place it right now. It's going to mess me up. And you can place it in your holding area, right? And you, I think you can hold two cards in your in your storage area um, that you don't have to play right away. And I really like that 
that element of the game because it allows you to strategize a little bit more, right? And then it's, yes, you have the luck of always drawing cards, but it gives you a little more control over that luck. Is that kind of the, the thought process going into that? Was that always there, uh, the holding area? Yep, that was always there. Um, it, uh, it was there for kind of two reasons. One is exactly for what you said. Um, and then the second thing was, uh, I noticed when I was playtesting with people, uh, people would move pretty quick. So one thing is, it's very hard like to kind of tell when you're doing it on tabletop simulator, but it's a lot yeah. slower. Like in real life, people are like, I'm gonna take that tile, this person's gonna take that tile, and then they're automatically starting to work on things. And so um, people, their brains can only like handle so much. So they're like, I don't know what I want to do with this right now, um, but I know I need it, right? Because it may have this icon or this hallway or whatever kind of thing. And so it gives them kind of a little bit of a buffer. And then um, they can think about it, especially as other people are kind of taking their turn. So a lot of people would say, wow, this game felt really fast. And I was like, okay, that's interesting because it took like 40 minutes, but to me, I was kind of watching them and it felt like kind of like, okay, that person's doing their turn, that person's doing their turn. But to them, they said it felt like it was just didn't stop, like their brain just couldn't take a break. Um, and so having that little storage area allows you to take a break. <clears throat> Sorry. So yeah, that's what it was there for, uh, two reasons. <laughs> Interesting. So where, where do you go from here? What's, uh, do you have other games you're working on or are you just going to kind of finish this one off and kind of see how it goes or imagine once you get the, the bug bites, yeah, you typically want to keep going. What, so what, are, what are you working on? So I got, uh, I got a, a couple more games in the work one, uh, in the works. One of them is, uh, another tiling game, but it's a little bit different, uh, on how you grab and fight for the resources. And it's about building like an old Western town, oh, cool. uh, and you're building these iconic scenes like the shootout at the OK Corral and uh, into your town specifically. So, um, and it's kind of more on a central board that everybody shares. So, uh, but it's again, it's tiling. Um, so you'll see kind of some bones from dungeon decorators in it, but a totally different theme and a lot of different ways of collecting resources. <laughs> and so it's just the one game or you said you've got oh, some yeah. others you're working on as well or? Oh yeah, I'm always working on like several at the same time, but I, I have another one that's kind of like a Mad Max type game and it's got a, um, uh, it's an engine builder and you're basically building up uh, your car's capabilities. So it's kind of got a, not a polyomino, but very close to it. You've got a mat and you've got, um, have you ever played Santa Maria by any chance? I may have played it once. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's kind of an engine builder and you're yeah. adding onto your car and it gives you a lot of uh, extra capability to fight the, uh, the the cars. The cars are all like, have like an AI rondelle, which is very unique. Um, and so I'm working on that too. So yeah, those are the two big ones. And so are these games developed and you're starting to shop them around to different publishers or like what stage are you at in, in these games? Um, so the Mad Max one is kind of like, there's some things I'm still not very happy with, so I'm still working on that. And then the, um, uh, the old Western town is just coming out of the, uh, the prototypes, like initial build of it. And I've got it on tabletop simulator. So I'm getting ready to start run, uh, running the first, uh, first sessions of that actually probably this week. And that one, did you, uh, have like a full like tangible prototype first or did you move more towards tabletop simulator um for your prototyping on those yeah the old western one uh is in tabletop simulator the other one i've had for a while and that's more in the tangible uh hand built space 
Nice. You're certainly seeing a lot more of that now. Uh, obviously with COVID, I think it's, it's introduced more people to things like Tabletopia you know, or, um, or even Tabletop Simulator. Um, I know even myself using uh, that even for prototyping now. Um, it, it is, it is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It is great. Cutting things. It was scissors is fun <laughs> and gluing and, you know, uh, flashback to when you're in kindergarten is awesome. But um, you know, once you learn how to use tabletop, which isn't that bad, it's a little bit intimidating at first, but it's really not that cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's, it's neat how quickly you can change things, right? So you can prototype, you can play test with someone that's not even in the same city as, as you. So if you have, you know, friends that are, you know, if you have a heavier game, for instance, where you're not necessarily going to play with little kids at home, you need to find some people that are into heavier games. You can do that without actually having to leave uh, your city, which is pretty cool. So Jeff, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, where you guys finish off at the end of day three on this, but uh, for sure you guys are going to fund and uh, maybe what we'll do is, if you don't mind, in the chat part of this um, Facebook Live video, it'd be great if you could drop a link to your Kickstarter campaign. Okay. And uh, if anybody wants to jump in, check it out, they, uh, they can easily uh, jump in. Sound good? Sounds good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, no worries. You take care. Cheers. All right. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.